1: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Eric Rosenberg from personal profitability. And when I'm not busy hustling my Tuchis off, I am stacking Benjamins live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the stacking Benjamin show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're going to be your friends with benefits. That's right. Today, helping us help you with your workplace benefits, we welcome the CEO of Jellyvision, Amanda Lannert. Plus, what if your retirement plan doesn't go according to plan? Do you know if you are someone else's fallback plan? We'll talk about mooching off those saps who save in today's headline segment. And don't you worry. We'll still have enough time to toss out the Haven lifeline to Brian, who wants to do some extreme college planning. Get this. He's thinking about using a Roth IRA in place of a 529 plan. Easy on that. Brian pump the brakes. I bet Brian's real fun at parties, but. I'll save the day by sharing some thrilling trivia with you. And now, two guys who I've finally caught up with here in the great Southwest. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G.
2: So do we tell them how soon it's going to be till we leave? I was just thinking that. I felt like... He missed that part of the team meeting the other day. I think we've said it already a couple of times to him, but he just, he's not internalizing it. He's just, he's so road, road beaten.
0: (laughs) We've told him 50 times that we were on our way here and he heads for Vermont. Hey everybody, welcome to Monday on the Stacky Benjamin show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter across the card table from me to help kick off your week. It's the ever
2: smiling, super happy Mr. O.G what's happening i am ever smiley that's kn- true i know you are that's you think my, i was that's hyperbole my, that's what my nickname in college was
0: take a look at this i got my new see. joshua tree mug huh uh, so did there. somebody's been to a national park look at me just casually lifting that off the sure table not. uh-huh good times today by the way not only do i have the joshua tree mug we're going to help people learn about how to pick your benefits so if you have Flex Benefits at Work, Amanda Lannert from the award-winning Jellyvision company here with us, OG. But first, we got some headlines. So, bam, let's get into this thing.
3: Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines.
0: Our first piece comes to us from Market Watch, And while we aren't big on opinion pieces, usually, in our headline segment. This is an opinion that we can get behind Brett Aaron's writes opinion. Your retirement probably won't be anything like your parents and that's not good news. Did you want your retirement to be more like your parents OG? I
2: don't want my retirement to be anything. like <laughs> I'm watching my parents retire. It's, uh, uh, I am not missing anything. <laughs> no, my grandpa's retirement was pretty sweet. He owned his business and worked until he was 90 but they did everything they wanted. So my grandpa was fire before fire was cool. He was like, he had like a blog, but it wasn't a blog. It was like a 1940s era of a blog, but not a newspaper either. He just kind of wrote his journal. Well, no more did like this thing. The, more like how, you know, how everybody who fires gets a blog and then tells you yes. how they, yes. How, how, how oh, it. I see his blog was the store. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He just did what he liked. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Hours were variable opened it when he wanted, or he had somebody yeah, else had, that ran regular, it.
2: They had regular hours, but he had a big sign in the door that said, Augie chairman of the board. I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> what type of store was it? They owned a printing company. Oh, cool. So he was a printer. Yeah.
0: Uh, Brett writes, when are we going to get real about the looming retirement and aging crisis in this country? If we don't do something, it's going to make the COVID crisis look like a walk in the park. Latest,
2: God, really? That's how he starts this thing out? That that is how he starts. Wow. Boy, he's landed on pretty thick at the very beginning here, isn't he? Well, we just need some
0: dun-dun-dun music. We we just don't have enough of them. We're going to put some of those. The latest evidence that there's an iceberg. (laughs) That's close enough. The latest evidence there's an iceberg straight ahead comes courtesy of the Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies just published its 20th annual retirement survey. of U.S. workers. They commissioned polling company Harris to survey about 5,300 workers. Oh, and most of the data were accumulated last fall and winter before the crisis struck and made things even worse. Among all the depressing data points. How about this one? Arguably none is more gloomy than the news that 48% of women and 56% of men have a serious, well-thought-out plan for dealing with their long-term care needs when they get old. You know what their plan is? 48% of women, 56% of men, OG, have a great plan.
2: Uh, so what's the plan? The plan is uh, just set me out back and, and, and I'll, <laughs> whatever happens, happens. Let the cougars come after me.
0: You want a, you want a bunch of uh, old pickup people at the bar to come at you <laughs> in tight pants?
2: Story of my life, dude.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a fun retirement.
2: How would it be any, it be any different than what happens now? Like <laughs> Sounds like a fun,
0: fun retirement right now. Wow. <laughs> uh, and Brett writes, the plan is 48% of women, 56% of men, friends and family. And then he writes.
2: Oh, that's not going to happen ever, actually.
0: No, really. Amazingly, they say spouses are only half of that as well. They're genuinely relying on friends and family members other than spouses to pitch in too. cue the sound of palm sitting forehead is in financial planners offices across the country. Man, how about two podcasters palm sitting their forehead? I used to have this in my office and I, I was hoping that this would get better because I haven't sat in front of a client in forever. Just why do you, why do you want your number one plan to be that my family's going to take care of me? Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of times that I think we were more in the United States, like Eastern culture where you do take care of your family, you know, family takes care of family. I like that a lot, but requiring it and especially with all the healthcare
2: needs that people have now, well, I'm a little tongue in cheek with this, you know, cause it happens on occasion. It comes up in conversation and I'll say, oh, okay, well let's, um, let's talk a little bit about that. I'm not sure that you've had your daughter-in-law give you a bath recently, but just to make sure everybody's comfortable, maybe you should do that now. And, and the room gets squirmy immediately. Yeah. Well, I mean, I with stuff like that. Well, uh, like, then with what? Yeah, you know, how are you going to decide? there's, only, there's what, what are there seven activities that they call, you know, seven activities of daily living that if you can't do two of them, you need some care. It's a tough thing. Now, here's the thing. If that's your plan, you better make sure that the, that's their plan. You know, because you'll be old and infirm. So <laughs> you have to vote anymore. Think about it this way.
0: If you're 80 years old when this happens to you, and you had your kid, let's say at 25, your kid now is 55 years old, right yep. in those crucial last few years to get just enough money saved to get themselves into retirement.
2: Yeah. Well, it's just, it's the same argument, just a uh, half a generation earlier of the argument of, but what about uh, saving for college instead of my retirement? Maybe I should do that. And you say, okay, but if you did that and you don't have enough money for retirement, when are you going to retire? You're going to retire in your, let's say you're in your sixties. And how old's your kid? Your kid's 35 to 45, right at their, like at their time that they're going, "Ah, I got to start, you know, paying down the house. I'm trying to save for college. I'm trying to get started for retirement, do the right stuff. And also I have to take care of mom and dad financially. And now you're talking about taking care of them from a health standpoint, you know, 10 years later. It's a big struggle and it's a bigger struggle, I think, nowadays, even because many families, more families are two income earners. You know, maybe it was a little bit more tenable when there was the proverbial wife that stayed at home. And, you know, dad could come and live with them type of thing, but that's not as prevalent. And on top of it, just the quality of the health care is so much better. I don't know why you'd want your Family. family who may not have any medical training to be the,
0: well, they say that out. also right now, a few things, uh, Boston based financial planner, Sandra Gilpatrick warns, you shouldn't assume your family will live near you to make care easy. Back in the day, you'd have family all in the same town. Now you have family all over the place that they aren't necessarily close. And, and what if right. you need help? Do you fly to them? Do they fly to you? Where do you, where do you go then? And then also if spouses are going to take care of each other, she said that spouses will have a conversation at 60, saying that they're taking care of each other. Fast forward to 85, it's a tremendous physical strain to try to lift somebody out of a chair.
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, this just happened uh, recently in our family. My mom is not super healthy, uh, but she's not she's not a weightlifter either, and her husband is uh, not a um, super healthy person either. And they went. He was in the hospital for a little bit, and he wanted to come home. And she said, you can't, because if something goes wrong, I can't physically get you from upstairs to downstairs to the car to, you know, to get help possible. Yeah. You know, obviously there's 911, but you don't want that either. So, so get this.
0: Brett then takes this to the next level. He said, okay, well, let's see income wise, how we can take care of this. What type of help can we get? If we're not going to rely on friends and family What type of help can we get among the people surveyed, the median household retirement savings was $69,000. So he went to just to create an easy income stream. First thing he did was he went to a website called a by the way, not an endorsement of this site, just doing, just doing what he said just so that he can create a pension type income stream to see how much money 69,000 will buy. By the way, among the women surveyed, the median household retirement savings was less than half as much a mere 28000 Just under a third of the women surveyed had 10000 or less. So he puts in a man 65 years old, $69,000. You know how much money a month that is? $330 300 a month. Yeah. That person's going to get to live in. And he says, to give you a flavor of just how dismal it is for a woman with $28,000, If you type $28,000 into the amount to invest box at immediate annuities to see how much of an annuity it gets you, you know what it tells you? It says it's below the minimum threshold.
2: Save more money?
0: You can't even do it.
2: Can't even get an annuity. Wow.
0: Not good. Big, big, big problems. I think there's two issues here. Number one is if you're worried that you can't save today, I think the number one exercise to put yourself through is fast forward 20 years and pretend you haven't saved a dollar. How horrible are you going to feel then? Because I feel like sometimes we really think our immediate need today, far more important than something coming up in 20 years. I think we kind of got to scare ourselves a little sometimes. Og. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like we talked about last week with the estate planning, there's already an estate plan in place for you. The government has one just cuz you don't actually have a plan for healthcare costs later in life doesn't mean that there's not a plan for you already. You know, there's a government plan and it may not be the one that you want. Even if you're 40, I think it's time to think about this a little bit. If you're 50, I think it's time to think about this. If you're already retired, I think it's okay to think about it and figure out what will we do if we need some assisted care both either at home or somewhere else and how would we kind of stress test that a little bit with the plan, you know, stress test the plan and say If this were to happen, you know, what would we do differently?
0: What is the strategy around long-term care, though? Because this gets really complicated now.
2: Well, it's really a couple of things. Firstly, you just have to decide, just like any sort of risk management, what amount of it do you want to keep and what amount of it do you want to transfer? You know, I've seen studies that say that one out of every two people, or I should say less, slightly less than one out of two, so like one in 2.3 or something, will need some assisted care later in life either at home or in an assisted care facility. And we know that the average cost of that is getting in the $70,000 a year range. And we also know that the average stay is about three years. So in one hand, you could do the math and just say, well, 70 grand, three years, that's 210,000. I got a one in two chance. So there's two of us in the household. I'll just set 210 aside in an account and call that my account. Perfectly fine to do. Another way to do that is to say, well, some of that I want to transfer to other people. Hence buy an insurance policy and say, I'm gonna keep, you know, I'm gonna keep the first six months of this risk on my own. But if I need some some extended care beyond six months or beyond a year or beyond 90 days or whatever you pick, then I want to transfer that obligation to another company. And then obviously you're paying for premiums. The problem with this is that there's very few companies that are offering long-term care insurance these days. And those that do. It's ridiculously expensive. And for some of us, we look at that and say, wow, it's so expensive, I can't get it. And then if you look at it from the other perspective, why is it expensive? You come to recognize that all insurance is priced the same. It's based on magnitude of the event happening. How much does it cost? And what's the likelihood of the event happening? And when you say, well, why are the premiums so high? It's not because of the greedy insurance companies, although to be sure, they make a profit. The premiums are regulated. It's more because the likelihood of this happening is really high and the expense of it happening is also really high. Therefore, the premiums are high. So I think probably the right strategy for a lot of people is some sort of combination of that. I don't think that you transfer all the risk and I don't think that you bear all the risk either, but there's probably a combo plan in there that makes sense for most people.
0: Our second headline adds more good news to the good news that we just shared Tongue firmly in cheek there. This comes to us from Forbes written by Robert W. Wood man finds nine carat diamond IRS fines and taxes man. First half of that sounded like such a great story, didn't it? Robert writes, it's nice to read a feel good story. Like the one about an Arkansas man who found a massive nine carat diamond in a public state park in Arkansas, 33 year old Kevin Kinnard found the 9.07 carat whopper in the crater of diamond state park on labor day. It's the second largest ever found at the park. The biggest being a 16.37 carat stone found way back in 1975, which was also the biggest diamond ever uncovered in the U S Mr. Kinner gets to hang on to his big find since visitors who find diamonds or other minerals at the site are allowed to keep them. The stone has not yet been appraised, but whatever the massive diamond turns out to be worth, does Mr. Kinnard really have to worry about looking over his shoulder for the IRS? And the answer Robert writes is yes. That's the not so feel good part of the story. According to the IRS money or valuables you find are taxed. Even if you just happen upon something by pure luck. And even if you don't sell it to turn it into cash, how about that? He finds this diamond OG he still has got to pay tax on the thing. And the bad news is it's a rock, it's a rock. So now he's got to come up with the cash yep. to afford that. Have you heard this? And by the way, I have no factual proof of this, but I have heard that winners that go on game shows, like the price is right, often have to disavow their winnings because they immediately are given a form and told, Hey, you know, we gave you this free car you have to pay the tax on the car. And yeah. there, you know, we talk about people have never saved. They go, yeah, I can't, I can't afford the tax. So I'm not going to, I'm
2: not going well, to understand. What happens is that they take like the cash option, basically, you know, they say we value the car at 20,000 plus the showcase showdown, you know, was another 82,000. So uh, you can have all that crap. And PS the government's going to want a check for 35,000 at the end of the year, uh, preferably today. Or we can just give you 50 grand cash right now. Ah. And then basically that's the $100,000 less the taxes they, you know, plus some sort of discount for not actually taking the toasters and stuff.
0: It is very frustrating for this guy. Finds this big, beautiful rock. Can't, can't,
2: can't do anything with it. I guess, I guess that'll learn him, huh? Yeah. You know what the lesson here is? Open your mouth. That's right. Big mouth. See what happens.
0: The lesson to Mr. Kenner, shut your trap when you, when you get that diamond. I seriously wonder how many diamonds have been found out there that uh, that just have never been.
2: Well, is it something do you think that that is the top of mind for? I mean, when you go to the casino and you win 40 bucks, do you do you write down in your notebook like, oh, don't forget to put that on my taxes this year? <laughs> no, everybody says, oh, you know, that's why they have that's why at the casino they have they have jackpots that are like whatever eleven hundred ninety nine dollars just below the reporting limit just Yay. below, you know, or whatever it is. I don't know if it's I think it's twelve hundred. But so I you think it's just people are like willfully snubbing their nose. Do you think people do that? I think people willfully snub their nose at the IRS. I, I don't think that's a thing, is it? <laughs> nobody does that. Be, who would nobody, who would do that? Everybody just pays what they're they're supposed to pay.
0: Well, that's also why at the casino, they have those big, like, you know, the sounds go when you win the, somebody wins a huge one. The sounds go (inaudible) off. Yeah. You've got all kinds of like beacons. Those beacons look like police beacons. Those are really IRS beacons. (laughs) Like, Hey, so they can spot the spot, the winner little known fact. The IRS makes casinos, put those in. No, maybe not. Give to Caesar
2: what a Caesar's, I guess, right?
0: I don't know what the lesson is for that one. I just thought that was really interesting. Guy finds diamond, IRS finds guy.
2: Well, and here's the other side of it. So what is he hoping when he takes it in? He's hoping that he appraises it for a low number, right? But he's really wor- hoping it's worth a lot, but he wants it to appraise for a low number. So then he, go- he gets his insurance. The insurance guy goes, well, let me see the appraisal. And you're like, yeah, that's not really the real appraisal. No, that's not it. Yeah. You know, it's worth way more. Well, this is what the appraisal says, but I want to insure it <laughs> for more. Why? this is what the appraisal is. You know what I mean? It's like this never ending loop of like sometime you got to take your medicine, but um, you know, Iris is a good company. I'm glad we have them around and uh, they do good work. So they're, uh, they're a good company. They're good people. They're good people. They make sure our roads get built and, you know, we got money and, you know, as long as everybody plays by the same rules, everything works fine.
0: I think that's lesson. Number one lesson. Number two is when it comes to your retirement plan and your long-term care plan, friends and family, maybe not the best strategy. Well, Amanda Lannert. Waiting in the wings. She is somebody who has won a Moxie Award in Chicago for CEO of the Year of her company, Jellyvision. Under Amanda's leadership, Jellyvision's become one of Chicago's fastest growing tech companies. And at the same time, not only are they fast growing, they've also won many awards about one of the Chicago area's best places to work. They're most known for today, a decision making tech helper called Alex, which we'll talk about a little bit today at the end of our discussion. But what Alex does, though, and what Amanda does is they help people make better flex benefits decisions by making the process entertaining and also easy to understand. They're able to break down the benefits so that people use them better. And so uh, people are happier at work. Jellyvision, by the way, has an interesting background, OG. If during this whole crisis, you've ever gotten on Zoom with people and played any of the Jackbox games, Jackbox is a company that used to be called Jellyvision and was spun off. So if you're somebody who likes You Don't Know Jack, Fibbage, and those games, while not made by Jellyvision, Amanda has nothing to do with them, very closely related when it comes to their roots so talk about fun and technology together a long history of that from this company so let's say hello to the woman who's going to help us do better with our benefits amanda lanert coming down to the basement and on my dad's shortwave radio it's my new friend amanda lanert joining us how are you
3: I am delighted to be here. Thank you so much.
0: When you run a company the size of Jellyvision, by the way, and COVID hits, before we get into anything about benefits, which I can't wait to get into that, Amanda, but I have to ask you as somebody that runs a business, how does that change things? Did you guys shut down for a little while and then you went virtual or were you already partly virtual? I know you guys have won so many awards about workplaces in the Chicago area, but tell me about what happens to the company when a pandemic happens.
3: Yeah, this is going to give you some insight into what an incredible leader I am. Just kidding. Uh, I was sitting at a dinner of CEOs on a Monday night, where people were joking about COVID, and I got credit from this group by saying, "You know, I think it it might actually be something." And then Wednesday night, I shut down the company and we've been uh, not in the office for six months and counting. So we are working. Everyone says when we go back to work, we are working. We are just working remotely. And we went remote with about six hours worth of notice. So wow. the positive about being a tech company facing COVID is we had the infrastructure. We already use tools like Zoom and Slack and email on the regular The cons are it's it's uncomfortable to shelter in place and not know when you're going to get back to some sort of routine that feels normal and around strangers as much as it does for anyone else. So we are so in the throes of it, just like everyone else trying to manage burnout and Zoom fatigue and people just wanting to run an errand and feel safe. But our business is humming along because we have uh, unbelievable IT support and adaptive employees who are doing the best to take care of customers in these really extraordinary times.
0: I have one more question about the company before we talk about what, seriously, this is not a bait and switch. I'm just very curious about this stuff. You know, a lot of reports talk about companies not going back to the office the way they were. Are you seeing that your company is going to come back the way that you were before? Is it important for for Jellyvision to be together in one place or is there going to be some switch forever?
3: the way I look at going back is not the way I look at us all going home. That was such a switch. It was such a, such a binary switch where we were in the office and then not in the office. And I think that there's going to be a lot of complexity about how we go back. First of all, there will be a difference between what it looks like day one of a vaccine versus 18 months after a vaccine. Mm. So it's like people want to work from wherever or they want to not. Nothing is going to be on a certain day, hopefully in April of next year, we go to this new reality. I think it's going to be a slower evolution as people take what they liked about COVID, whether it's no commute, spending more time with their pets, spending more time with their families and what they don't like about it, which is no sort of work life cut off, no, no real like walls and barriers, particularly for people in cities living in studio apartments. But I think the biggest challenges are yet to manifest, which is we're going to all go from working from our homes to some working from offices and some working from anywhere because pretty much right now it's, it's easy to get a hold of people because they're all in houses. What happens when we go to someone else's house or move our houses and we're on different time zones in different countries, all those kinds of things. So Jelly Vision, rather than taking a strategy around remote, in the office, how are we telling people to work? Our strategy is defined as flexible first. We want people to be connected with technology. We want to enable asynchronous work. And we ultimately want to empower people to do their jobs when and how they want as much as possible. And that means having office space for people who want to be there and as much flexibility for people who do not choose to commute to an office anymore, even though our life pre-COVID was very much the bustling, packed tech office where most people showed up in a given week.
0: Just make it easier for people to work however they want to work, it sounds like.
3: That's it. That's it. And yeah. it's saying like, we're now thinking that instead of having off sites to create work, we may have on on-site. sites. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Such a strange world. I think that flexible first is a fantastic pivot to what we have you on here today. You and your team experts in the area of helping people with benefits. And as you know, better than anybody, Amanda, this is benefits season right now. A lot of companies having flexible benefits either now or coming up fairly soon Is flexible first kind of the way we think about our flex benefits? Like strategically, when I sit down with all these benefits and maybe my company's given me some benefit dollars to work with, strategically, how do I go about making the right decisions?
3: So I think more than flexibility, it comes down to math. Run against what your druthers are. So it really it's really instead of trying to create flexibility, it is an assessment of sitting down and understanding what, what sort of bad things you think could be coming and what your attitude towards risk around those bad things coming. Are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? So really tough psychological decisions need to get balanced and then just an awful lot of math. Uh, and to try to talk about like if it's hard for you to pick benefits if you really dread open enrollment even though it's our sort of super bowl season for most people it's not an enjoyable part of the year and i want to sort of break down why first of all it is really hard to get good advice because it is a personal and emotional decision how you ensure yourself and your family everything you will encounter is terribly named there are very few industries where you can take a product Name it based on its most terrifying feature and expect it to be successful. (laughs) But we really have products called the high deductible plan. That's actually about a low premium. It really should be called the low premium plan, you know, spend as you need it, but it's called the high deductible plan. And then everything is a three or four letter acronym and you change one letter and it's a completely polar opposite design and it's very, very hard to stay on top of. So yes naming obfuscates versus creates clarity. Uh, that is true. And that makes it hard. A couple more things. It does involve math and it involves speculation. And sometimes, sometimes benefits work better together. So it's like lettuce is lettuce, but lettuce on a BLT, really something worth uh, talking about. And so there, the layering of benefits can create a lot of complexity. So I just wanted to frame, it's not you, it's benefits and they're hard for everyone. <laughs>
0: Those damned HR people are getting in the way again. Actually, HR trying people
3: trying to be helpful. Right? Yeah, they're
0: trying I, to be helpful. I was gonna say HR people are doing God's work. They were they really yes. are. Let's then dive into that because I'm very curious to hear about benefits on benefits. But when you talk about all these things and I'm thinking about risk versus reward, and I'm thinking about all the benefits out there, we should probably start with the biggest one that's biggest risk versus biggest reward, which I would think. Would be health insurance, right? Do we start there?
3: So, the big question, sort of like the PPO, and often you can have multiple PPOs, multiple um, high deductible plans with HSAs. I'll just lay out kind of the construct. And then I have um, a handful of money saving tips that apply to people no matter what plan they take. Basically, there are two main levers that you need to think about from a math perspective one is the rent you pay to be on a plan, that's the premium. And because it's taken out typically pre-paycheck, people are much less bothered, even though there is a tremendous amount of expense in that line. So because it hits the sort of gross to net pay, it's sucked into your, you know, out of your paycheck, like taxes, you don't really feel in control. You need to watch that because the rent you pay on a plan can be very different depending on the plan. The second are, let's call them transaction fees, paying for stuff you use a doctor's visit, a prescription you need. And those come in the form of co-pays, co-insurance, and uh, pharma, uh, pharma costs. So it really is looking at those two line items and balancing. Are you someone who believes that A, probably likely you're not going to have a lot of medical expenses in a given year, or B, that you can afford a high deductible, if you happen to have sort of extraordinary costs at any given point of the year, you could afford your entire deductible. If so, high deductible plans are becoming increasingly popular because on an annualized out-of-pocket basis, meaning forget what you pay in January to go to the hospital. If you look at all the premiums all year long and all the transaction fees all year long, high deductible plans are typically the cheapest for both individuals and families on an annualized out-of-pocket cost basis. I feel they come. I feel,
0: yeah, just to stop there for a second. I feel like though, what you're really hammering at, and I don't want to let this go, is that most people will just look at these costs on the sheet of paper. And you're saying that's not the only cost. There are all these other transaction fees. I love that term that you're going to have throughout the year. So really, there's going to be some accounting of going back and seeing what you kind of paid last year and then projecting those onto this year, add that to that price. And see how the mix of the two comes out in the wash.
3: Yeah. And one of the challenges is there are plans that just are cheaper on an annual spending basis. If you look at the math at the end of the year, it'll be cheaper. But for people living paycheck to paycheck, which is an awful lot of us, transaction fees become really material Mm, because there's a difference about getting huge transaction fees in January versus huge transaction fees in December. But the important lesson here is what you can't do is just look at that one doctor bill, When you go from a PPO of paying $20 or $30 for a copay for a doctor's visit to getting a bill for $120 for a doctor's visit, that one doctor's visit feels a lot more expensive. But in aggregate, when you add up all the fees, typically high deductible plans are less expensive. The challenge is cash flow management, making sure it's not even... It's going to depend on when you have spending. It's not sort of prorata over the course of the year and predictable the way more expensive PPOs and other types of plans are. So it really is, you look at it, one, what is the total cost based on my expected needs in a given year? And then two, where am I sort of, you know, discretionary spending wise and can I afford bumps in the road a little bit earlier in the year or do I need to be contributing into my deductible and contributing, excuse me, contributing into my HSA to sort of fund, um, you know, bumps in the road that hopefully happen later in the year. Very often for high deductible plans, there is a sidecar, a product called an HSA. Give me just 60 seconds to talk about this one because it's an incredibly important component of high deductible plans. We spent years and years and years teaching employees about FSAs, Flexible Spending Accounts. You can put money, uh, run it through your FSA, and you will basically make all of your expenses on healthcare tax-free. So basically, assume you're paying 20% tax, you need a prescription, run it through your FSA, and you just got 20% off that prescription. Sounds great, right? The catch is use it or lose it. The money you put into your FSA must be used under the plan year or it disappears. Then come in HSAs. We just change one little letter, FSA to HSA, totally different plan and plan construct. It is a health savings account, not health spending account. And it's one of the most sort of powerfully packed triple tax advantage vehicles that sits side by side and encourages spending and even potentially investment as you manage your high deductible plan. And one of the most alarming things that we see is very often employers contribute directly on behalf of employees into their hsa or increasingly have a match where if an employee puts in a dollar the employer will drop in some money into the hsa and most employ- uh, there was a, a high proportion of employees historically who wouldn't know that there were HSAs, would not open those accounts, get the employer match, and also get the tax advantages that HSAs offer in the short term for, for health care expenses. So very important to understand, unfortunately, if you're going for the cheapest plan, the high deductible plan, which involves the lowest premium and a capped out-of-pocket expense, You need to really look at the HSA. And if the HSA is there, short-term value, tax savings on your spending, long-term value, you can use that as a separate retirement vehicle where you can accrue enough assets, begin to invest them. They grow tax-free. And when you take them out at the age of retirement to apply them to your healthcare needs in retirement, tax-free again. So money goes in tax-free. It grows through investment vehicles tax free. and if you take it out for approved medical expenses after the age of retirement, again, tax free. The only triple uh, tax savings uh, tax advantaged uh, savings vehicle on the planet, and it's called HSA, one little letter away from something that is the polar opposite, <laughs> use it or lose it. So that's why it's confusing. Like I, I probably I'm boring everyone to tears, but these are really not at all and really important decisions. Uh, healthcare care is probably the second biggest line item for all American families who aren't doing you know extraordinary things like owning factories. Uh, And so I really I'm I'm eager to get people to better understand it so they can make the best decisions they can.
0: Is this this is an area, Amanda, that you were alluding to earlier, where the two together is what works. It's the high deductible plan plus the HSA, not one or the other.
3: That's right. And it could be the high deductible plan plus hospital indemnity insurance, another horribly named product (laughs) that actually (laughs) provides a lot of good for people who may be anticipating things like a pregnancy with delivery and potential complications, or someone who thinks that they might be seriously sick or needing surgery. There are supplemental plans you can layer on top of them. So you may need an HSA and a high deductible plan and hospital indemnity insurance, but we'll pace ourselves. We'll get there later.
0: It seems to me that when you're talking about high deductible plans, that they work better for people that have better cash flow because of the fact that you really should be putting money into that HSA at the same time. Would you say that's true if you have better cash flow that go with the high deductible plan if your paycheck to paycheck does it work as well?
3: Ish Joe, I, I wonder if that's an oversimplification because the key thing is it's if you're in duress and if you can't make payments and you get into trouble and end up putting, you know, healthcare expenses on your credit card with those high interest rates, so you're sort of negating the value of the tax savings of an HSA. So let me just give you sort of spoiler tip number one. The reality is in healthcare, there are a couple of hidden secrets. The first is that you can negotiate your bill, any bill for anything, If you are willing to take the time to call your provider, meaning the hospital or doctor who serviced you, and saying, this feels high, I need you to do better, more often or not, they will. They just type in a different insurance code and create some savings for you. Because prices aren't transparent, which makes it very hard to shop, it helps you on the back end haggle to get a lower bill. The second way to sort of manage the cash flow implications of high deductible plans is in fact if you have high expenses earlier in the year don't panic do not put it on your credit card once again call your provider the hospital or doctor who serviced you and set up a payment plan where the hospital is so eager to get paid that they will work with you to finance your health care now the problem with healthcare, sometimes there are hospital charges, physicians fees, medicine, like uh, you know, pharmacy, it can come from lots of different places. But typically, you can both create payment plans and negotiate down your bills if you're going to be an active consumer and willing to go through the incredible pain of talking to providers on the phone. And that's a way to sort of manage the cash flow bumps around high deductible plans because truly on an annual basis, you will be financially better off. Your healthcare will cost you less money. And you'll be able to take care of some unique savings advantages if you move on to a high deductible plan in HSA. Now, if set month-over-month expenses is the most important thing to you, consistency, predictability, PPOs, and those types of plans Mm. are for you. Gotcha.
0: I want to uh, talk about FSAs next, not because I think they're most important, but because we already brought them up, so we can just tick that off the list. You said it's the polar opposite of the HSA. What do we do when it comes to flexible spending accounts, Amanda?
3: Um, I think you sit down and you ask yourself questions like, am I buying glasses this year? What do I spend on my existing prescriptions and cold medicine? And you kind of look at the list of what is covered under your FSA and sort of ballpark your expenses and then sit down and you say, do I think this is going to be the same more or less this year compared to what it was last year? I think that there's nothing wrong with taking a conservative approach and putting in slightly less than maybe you know you spent on a prior year because the teeth around FSAs are real. You cannot bank it and roll it forward. If you do not spend everything through the the one-year period plus the grace period, it's gone. That said, you can backload expenses of approved items, meaning you could go buy a lot of cough medicine or, or, you know, headache medicine, you can buy a lot of medicines to get those savings. Uh, but if you're worried about that, or cash flow is really important, I would be a little bit conservative. But basically, it's a horribly named program for basically taking 20% off the top of everything you spend related to approved medical expenses and healthcare. It is, is not a bad way. It's just a complicated way to get a little bit of a savings because the government has said healthcare is too expensive, we need to help. And that is the form it takes.
0: What about childcare? Putting childcare away through my flex benefits versus taking the tax deduction. Do you know which way parents should go? That way
3: completely depends on household incomes, what else you have going on. That is a much gotcha. more complex. That yeah. is a much much more complex uh, thing that would you would really need an accountant to kind of look at options versus deductions versus uh, the, the dependent care FSA.
0: Talk to your tax advisor about that one. That's right. Yeah. Uh, let's move on then to life insurance. Often I'm given two or three choices when it comes to life insurance through work. How should I look at that?
3: So the key thing is to look at what does your employer offer versus what are you purchasing as an ancillary product voluntarily or on your own? Very often. And I hate to say this, the opportunity to buy up, meaning your employer may give you one time your salary and they cover the cost. You want to elect into that. It's free to you. It's a nice family benefit. But then the provider says, but while we're at it, you could buy two times more at this price. We have done um, some just cost comparison, trying to create a little bit of a marketplace. And it is not certain that the employer sponsored ancillary coverage is less expensive to going to the open market. So if you really want to get a deal for your dollar, which makes sense for people listening to this podcast, versus saying I want the convenience of having it all under one provider in one place, my recommendation is don't assume that the provider buy-ups are the most cost-effective way of doing it and do spend a little bit of time shopping on market. But be, be very careful. Lots of employers give some life insurance for free and you want to opt into that every year.
0: It's funny that you say that because even if it's close, Amanda, I think I may, uh, I may look at going elsewhere anyway, because if I change jobs and I'm a few years older, the cost of insurance is based on my age at the time that I get it. So maybe I, I, I can get some now lock into a price for the next 10, 20, 30 years, whatever I need it for and uh, keep it more flexible.
3: Uh, But you can take those products that you buy as an employee are with you just as something you'd buy on the market. Oh, they can be portable. Everybody's convenient. Oh, it it is absolutely portable. What you buy on your own is your own. It is not employer dependent. But you would think because your employer has worked with them, they're bringing you this insurance through them, they're vetted as a provider, that that sort of incremental upsell would be the most cost effective way to get additional insurance. Yeah, right. We are saying that is not necessarily the case Mm. based on our research.
0: Wow. Is it the same with disability policies?
3: So disability policies, a lot of the employers we work with, and I'm going to say the vast majority of them, actually offer insurance to employees on their own dime. When you are looking to get incremental coverages, our advice is the same. You need to shop the open market and not assume that employer options for additional personal coverage are the most cost-effective way to get there. They may be, but it is not necessarily the case, which is why going to open market and, and, and shopping around is worth it.
0: This is the area where I'm going to jump in as former financial planner and, and, and say that this is an area also, Amanda, where I would see people behaviorally, they go, oh, I'm going to opt for less because I'm a safe skier. I'm a good driver. And it really isn't about you. And you look at the statistics around disability. This is an area where I would go with as much as I can possibly get. The problem isn't, and this is going to be horrible, the problem isn't if you die, or I guess when you die, um, it's what if you live and you can no longer work and your family has to right. still take care of you. So I, I, it's funny because my clients would usually come in back when I was a financial planner, they would come in and disability was the one they didn't really want to spend time on. And they'd be a little annoyed with me because I wanted to spend a lot of time talking about which option we chose there. There are other insurances, too, by the way. There's this uh, accidental death and dismemberment insurance. What do you think about that one?
3: So pros, critical illness and accident insurance cover the cost of medical emergencies like heart attacks, strokes or cancer, or in the event of dismemberant for people who are maybe in a bad car accident or something awful. Again, what a pleasantly named product. Right. And these are the <laughs> kinds of medical emergencies that aren't fully covered by a standard medical plan. Pros, low cost, just like disability insurance. It's relatively low cost to the individual employee compared to the costs of medical premiums and really worth it if you're at risk or have a family history of medical uh, of serious medical problems. The keys are a lot of the, the, the do or don't lies in fine print. You need to know what's covered. Uh, The medical emergencies included in these policies are usually pretty limited. So you need to know what's included. Is a skiing accident included? Is family history recurring cancer covered? And just because you're diagnosed with something does not mean you're covered. So a diagnosis of cancer, for example, may not be enough to trigger payment of a policy if the cancer has not spread beyond the initial point of discovery or isn't life-threatening. So cheap, 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 but lots of fine print that needs to be read to ultimately make a smart decision about whether or not the coverage is worth it.
0: Many companies have many other benefits. As you know, every company is a little bit different. If we cover some of these outliers, just, just briefly, I've got two in mind. You probably have uh, many others, but if we look at things like pet insurance, what do you think about that?
3: So we looked at that, and I said the most research we did is as an employer because we increasingly have you know millennials who have pet babies and not human babies that they love, like life itself. Uh, and so we've looked into it, and we found in a very extensive analysis completed within the last 10 months that the employer-sponsored options did not offer better coverage or better, really, insurance for employees than just going off the market. So we 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 just decided to go off the market. And importantly, kind of think about pet insurance in certain ways like, dental insurance like dental insurance not to get too into the weeds this is my bread and butter it's not actually insurance it's really just a payment plan for cleanings like it's really just sort of like financing healthcare versus you know making a bet about whether or not you're going to need it very similarly it's almost like a prepayment plan largely in pet insurance where there still may be very high bills for unexpected you know medical emergencies or surgeries or things like that so it's just important to understand what expected costs do i have what extraordinary costs may happen and how can I figure out if having a little insurance to create a buffer in between is worth it? It's very personal. It depends on your dogs. It depends on where you live. Are you in the woods? Are you in the city? Those kinds of things come in around pet insurance. But it is absolutely a growing benefit. It's one of the fastest growing benefits that we see in terms of what our customers offer, largely uh, to support you know families who are obsessed with dogs and cats and things like that.
0: Yeah. And I didn't even think about dental, which we should have covered. I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, what about legal coverage?
3: Again, that we see that offered about by 7% of companies. Oh. It, is, it is legal indemnity, probably because it's a complex subject, is not a widespread uh, benefit offered through employers whatsoever. Whereas hospital indemnity insurance, another charmingly named product, is really on the rise. And just to kind of break down what hospital indemnity insurance is, it, it covers the costs of hospital stays along with other gaps in medical coverage. So it's meant to work in tandem, that sort of like joint coverage we talked about with standard medical plans, whether it's a high deductible plan, a PPO or an HMO, which increasingly don't cover hospital bills or necessarily pharma costs. So having hospital indemnity insurance could save you thousands of bills if you have an emergency or an expected visit coming up, like your expectant mom or you're expecting surgery. So just to kind of break it down, the average hospital bill is over $10,000. Its average is $10,700. Hospital indemnity will help you cover that cost, where you know the average cost of an expectant mom from a hospital, $3,500. And families may also be covered if they have to take time off work to care for a spouse or child in the hospital. May be covered, need to check. Um, so hospital indemnity is a supplement for medical insurance, not a substitute. So you might have a high deductible plan and an HSA and hospital indemnity insurance to cover you if you're expecting a, a surgery or a major medical event or a birth.
0: That's great, just a little pre-planning can save you just tons and tons of money. Any other benefits we're seeing on the rise or that uh, we missed, Amanda?
3: We're seeing um, a rise of sort of fun benefits and financial wellness benefits. There's increasingly an effort for employers to help navigate you know, health, wealth and happiness. Really, it's not just physical health. It's no longer just mental health. We're seeing financial health come to the fray. So employers are looking for ways to help employees save money, to invest money, and also to just live a more enjoyable life cost effectively. So we're seeing things like partnerships with car insurance providers bringing premium rates or home mortgage refinancing happening at work. Uh, And then a lot of benefits around mental wellness, access to counselors, access to apps that can help people with, with mental health. And one of the things I'll plug, almost everyone has this if you're an employer with 500 employees or up, and it's called an EAP, Employee Assistance Program. Nobody uses them and almost everybody should. It is a great way to navigate healthcare to make sure you're using a doctor that is in network finding people that have, you know, high referral rates and can help you on your care, or you can get free therapy. Almost every EAP provides three to five to eight free therapy sessions for any unique instance that you might need them. So you're feeling a little depressed by COVID, your kids struggling in school, you're having marital problems, you want some financial counseling. You can get that for free for each instance through your employee assistance program, your EAP, and I got to plug it. It's better than you would think. Every EAP we have tested, better than you would think, better service, really helpful, should be a much more heavily utilized benefit because of the price value for employees. It's free to you and it does a good job. Why is it so unloved? Horribly understood, Horribly branded. Uh, people that call the EAP. I don't want to call an EAP. I want to call a person. Well, it's a bunch of incredibly talented <laughs> counselors and nurses I, I gotcha. who are waiting for your call through the EAP. I think it suffers from poor brand identity yeah. because it is a very valuable service.
0: I want to talk a little bit about you and your company and, and what you guys do because it's interesting. Talking to you is so fun. Talking about this stuff, you can tell that, that this is what you love talking about. If you don't mind, I want to talk just a little bit about the history of the company, because you guys have always had a way of talking in great ways and in quirky ways about things that um, most people have trouble understanding. And fact check me on this. When I was doing a Wikipedia search, and you know how accurate Wikipedia is, Amanda?
3: Yes, yes.
0: Wikipedia is incredibly knowledgeable. But the Jellyvision company, at one point, you guys were making... I think it was educational uh, CDs way, way back in the day. And another company came to you to ask about trivia and the way the story reads on Wikipedia is that the people at Jellyvision said, we don't know anything about trivia. So you ended up making a game that really skewered trivia, was incredibly intelligent, but incredibly hilarious. That ended up being spun off and you guys really got back to work on the education part, making education about benefits fun. That game I'm talking about is a popular game called You Don't Know Jack, and now people that play the Jackbox games, I think that's a company that kind of is a spin-off of what you guys do. Is that true?
3: That's correct. That you, you, Fact, fact, fact. Fantastic. So good research. <laughs> good research. The re- The real key pivot is the company got its growth, not in educational software, but in mass market trivia games. We created virtual game show hosts for CD-ROM-based gaming, not just You Don't Know Jack, but Who Wants to Be a Millionaire?, and a bunch of other of the most successful games, virtual games and CD-ROM games of the 90s. But when the CD-ROM market died, so too did our aspirations to make people laugh, and we wanted to get back to teaching people. So we went from creating virtual game show hosts in a B2C gaming space to creating virtual advisors in a B2B enterprise space. The purpose of the company is to go to where there's furrowed brow, where people are trying to do something that's complicated and boring but important, And we talk you through it. And that's what our our product is. It's the bread and butter, the growth engine of the company. It's a virtual advisor-based platform that tries to simulate a conversation between, between an incredibly knowledgeable advisor, who, by the way, does all the math for you all the long day, gets to know you, figures out what's important to you, and then based what's actually available to you, helps you make good choices for you and your family based on your needs, expected expenses, and also your attitudes towards risk. And how optimistic or pessimistic you may be and and your cash flow so all of those things come in uh, to sort of advisor platform, but it is it's how a gaming company ends up being excited about health insurance. We went from really entertaining people because you can't learn if you're not paying attention to being an agency where we learn how to persuade and what we're trying to persuade people to do is make good mathematical decisions. We as our company does not make money based on choices right we, whatever you do is up to you. We just want you to better understand your choices. So you feel confident you're making the right ones for you and your family. And that's why I now get on podcasts. And instead of talking about, you know, pop cultural hilarity, I'm talking about (laughs) hospital indemnity insurance. Didn't see that twisting turn coming, but I am, I'm grateful for a chance, you know, just to kind of like put the pin on this year. Health insurance is now 18% of global GDP, of US GDP, rather, and it's largely paid for by employers and employees. You know, what what is going to happen next year after COVID? We are seeing health insurance premiums rise, minimum 5%, up to 15%, as employers are sitting down and figuring out what health insurance is going to cost them next year. All the quietness and lack of spending and profitability for carriers is not translating into cheaper plans. Because of the ambiguity, are people going to be sicker? Or are they going to use more care than normal? That risk has created a huge upswing in costs for employers, which means there's going to be an upswing in costs for employees. Mm. Shopping, studying, reading the fine print, and being willing to work through some mathematics scenarios with our platform, Alex, or on your own, is increasingly important because healthcare is on an unsustainable trajectory and not slowing in 2021.
0: When you reference Alex, Alex is the advisor that you guys have created that does a lot of the math for you.
3: That's exactly it. Our platform is called Alex, and we help people choose their benefits and use their benefits and save for retirement and take figure out what sort of voluntary products, like all the sort of products we've just discussed, are right for for you and your family.
0: And and you work through the employer, Amanda.
3: Exactly right. We we don't tell employers what to buy. We sit down and look at what they're offering to employees and then help employees take advantage of what's most meaningful to them.
0: Awesome. And we will link to JellyVision and to Alex on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. So anyone in HR or an employer listening man, make it easy, Uh, make it easy for your people and make it enjoyable. That's what that is my favorite thing, Amanda, about your story as a company is that you guys started with let's make this enjoyable. And uh, I think if we can maybe maybe not keep it light, but keep it a little bit fun, people are going to spend more time on it and that'll lead to better decisions.
3: You know, this as well as anyone, people can't learn when they're stressed out. Humor isn't the end goal comprehension and confidence are our end goals, right? Good decision-making is our end goal and humor is a device to get people to relax. So they're less stressed and can learn and make good decisions. It's, it's, it's really based on brain science. Oh, and then it just makes for a more fun work day. It's it's actually quite (laughs) purposeful humor and everything we do uh, because we want people to make good decisions first and foremost.
0: Spoken like somebody making stacking Benjamins episodes, Amanda, thanks a ton for hanging out with us and talking benefits. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Thank you for putting up with us. Important
1: stuff. Really appreciate the opportunity. Hey, trivia fans. It's your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And thanks so much to Amanda for stopping by the basement, which makes me realize that somebody needs to figure out our company benefits for next year. Since Joe and OG can't seem to be bothered, I nominate me for that job. You're welcome, people. Oh boy, do I have some great ideas. Like, for example, we're going to add a mandatory contribution to the El Camino Detailing Relief Fund for those of us collectively who need to clean El Caminos. Super important, and I'm sure a real hit for all the employees. I'll share more of my ideas after we get you today's trivia question. On this date in history, an international spy thriller debuted in 1962. And if this guy were doing his own benefits, he should probably opt for a lot of disability and life insurance coverage. So the question is, who is this spy? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can go undercover.
0: It's interesting that on today's show, Amanda was talking about how technology can help you. And if you're somebody that runs a business, you don't need us to tell you that running that business is tough. So you want to have things streamlined into one easy dashboard so it's easier to make decisions. Amanda talked about trying to make better, easier decisions today. And hopefully when it comes to running your business, you're not making it harder on yourself than necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now's the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, your HR, your inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantaneously. So whether you're doing a million dollars or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash stacker. Super informative session, by the way, OG, where you get to see how the NetSuite dashboard can help you go much, much faster and help the whole team be on the same page and make quicker decisions. Dump the spreadsheets, schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash stacker, netsuite.com slash
1: stacker. Hey, stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Hard at work, nose to the grindstone, pulling the brain train, so to speak, trying to finalize benefits for everyone here in the basement. And I got to say that I am determined to make them the best benefits ever. Since we all want to be healthy and hate eating veggies, we're giving out free Flintstones, chewables daily. We also stare at screens all day, so we need to protect our eyes and look cool while we're doing it. So free aviator sunglasses for the whole team. And lastly, since mental health is so important nowadays, we're going to have a three-day weekend. Every weekend? you got to admit, i got a gift when it comes to HR. Now that our benefits are almost set, I think it's time to get back to today's trivia. The question was, on this date in history, an international spy thriller debuted in 1962. So who is the spy? His name, of course, is Bond. James Bond also known as 007. All right, I just have a few more interviews about pre-existing conditions, and these benefits are all shaken, not stirred. See ya!
0: James Bond for the win. How many James Bond movies have you seen? All of them?
2: No, 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 no. Uh, Just since... Probably saw the Pierce Brosnan ones on. Okay. Not,
0: not really the early ones, huh? The Roger uh, Moores or the Sean Connerys?
2: Maybe saw a Sean Connery one, but he was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. He was the original
0: Bond. Was sure. he the
2: original, original?
0: He he was the original Bond, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then no, they I, brought in a guy who did one movie, yep. and yeah, then right. Roger Moore did a ton of them
2: ton of them. Yep. Yeah.
0: Roger Moore Myers was,
2: was all right. I, th- I think, I think David Craig, Daniel Craig. Sorry. See, I'm, he and I are on a first name basis. <laughs> Bill Craig. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, I call him David. That's <laughs> actually his name. But, that, that's because
0: you, 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 you have this special relationship. I'm with you. Besides Daniel Craig, who I also think is my favorite bond, the best bond,
2: not having seen any of the other ones, I'm going to say he's the best. Oh, I liked
0: Roger Moore. I mean, I know some people think Moore's pretty campy bond, a little too over the top, a little too flippant, but I thought he was fun, but man, Daniel Craig. Fantastic. Hey, let's throw out Dave and lifeline. OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven life insurance agency, put what you value first. Cool. theme music.
2: Yeah. I can't wait for the new one to come out though. Once all this nonsense is over and we get to go see like Top Gun and the new Bond,
0: there's just okay. going to be a flood of great movies now because they've been holding them all.
2: Yeah, I think so.
0: I saw a thing recently saying 75% of people aren't comfortable going into a movie theater, even though movie theaters now starting to open. You comfortable going into movie theater now?
2: No. But I've never been comfortable in a movie theater. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with. See, uh, you're the wrong person
0: to ask. Yeah. Yeah, it's your loved ones and your time, by the way, is what they believe you value. It's why they've created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. If you head to stackybegemins.com forward slash haven life now, you get a free quote. Prices are affordable. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, a hundred and sixty year old company. Application is easy and online. And today we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Brian. Say hi, Brian.
2: Hi, Joe and OG. I've got a question I'm sure 50% of your audience will benefit from. And that 50% is me, of course. My company started offering in service withdrawals on after task contributions to my 401k. I'm planning on using the mega backdoor Roth IRA instead of a 529 for my almost two year old, as I live in the great state of Texas and have no upfront benefits. I then plan on pulling out the contributions only and allowing my growth to be used for retirement savings. What do you think of this plan? And what am I missing? Oh, and shirt size is two T.
0: What is two T? Too tiny.
2: I would say it's a. Isn't a kid size? Toddler. Two <laughs> two. <laughs> he he really likes the shorty shirt. Shorty <laughs> shirt for him.
0: If if I can if I can get that thing tight, Joe, that'd be great. Uh, Maybe
2: it's for his kid who's two.
0: <laughs> Maybe, but it's way more fun thinking about Brian trying to fit in that thing. So what do you think of that strategy? By the way, before we get to that strategy, thank you, Brian. I have still never been comfortable with the term mega backdoor Roth IRA. I don't know why. Maybe it's the same reason one of my least favorite words is moist. Just don't don't like that word. Yeah. Mega backdoor Roth IRA also doesn't do it for me. First of all, can we explain to everybody what that strategy is so that uh, we can explain exactly what Brian's trying to do?
2: Well, he talked about in-service withdrawals and the after-tax Roth contribution stuff as if they're the same thing. And I don't, they're not. So I'm guessing that even he doesn't know what he's talking about here a little bit. But a mega backdoor Roth, I hate it too, by the way, is once you've contributed the maximum allowable to your workplace plan, which for most people is nineteen and a half thousand dollars this year. If you're older you get to put in a few extra bucks. Then sometimes some plans allow you to do after tax contributions and they limit those to some number. It could be as much as twenty or thirty thousand more dollars if you are able to do that. And the play there is you put in money after tax at the end of the year, you take it out, and roll it into your Roth IRA, just that component of it, the after-tax component, you're not going to pay taxes on the amount you put in because that's all after-tax. You're not receiving a tax benefit. Any amount of money that's grown over that year, you're going to pay a little bit of taxes on, on the growth for that short period of time. But once you get it into the Roth, from that point forward, it's 100% tax-free. So this is kind of like tier six of like building out your retirement plan what if you've maxed out your 401k, your spouse has maxed out their 401k, you've done all of your IRA contributions outside of your workplace plan, you're you know funding your non-qualified brokerage account, uh, non-taxable brokerage account in the way that you want, and then there's still money? This is a great place to put it. I do not love it for college goals because it's commingling the money. You're going to end up double counting it in your mind if you say, well, this is part of my retirement, why well, it's actually kind of my college, That's well, it's actually kind of my retirement, it's actually kind of my college fund, uh, and you're betting on the fact that they don't change the rules associated with retirement plan distributions, specifically Roth distributions, between now and 16 years from now, basically four more elections, to put it in perspective. No, there's more than that. There's eight more elections, right? Because they're every two years. But
0: which but, Which, by the way, means roughly... 847,000 more campaign ads.
2: Basically everything's going to, yeah. And there's a chance that everything can change. So the likelihood of them changing the 529 and saying, well, we can't use this for college anymore. It's pretty low. That's the whole purpose of a 529. The likelihood of them changing a Roth and saying, well, we don't want you to use these distributions for a different purpose other than retirement, because it's a retirement account, I'd say is higher. Now, is it close to zero? I don't know. Is it going to happen? Don't have any idea. But I don't see any significant benefit in not having a 529 if you have extra money and you're going to put it away in your retirement account for your kid's college. Why don't you just put it in a kid's college fund? You say, well, what if I don't use it all or whatever? Then just fund half of it. You'll use some of it, you know, and and cash flow the rest or whatever. But um, I'm not in love with this idea. Too many unknowns. Yeah, I think. And the other thing that he talked about was allowing in-service withdrawals. And that is a completely different program. In-service withdrawals is a phrase used for being able to basically do a rollover of your 401k and still work there. So a lot of times, you know, you look at your workplace plan, you're putting money in, maybe it's good, maybe it's not good. And you go, well, I'm stuck, right? I got to have, I got to keep my money in my 401k because I work there. Well, if your plan allows for in-service withdrawals, usually they put an age on this, by the way, like 50 and you happen to be over 50, you can say, you know what, I'm going to still work and I'm going to still put money in, but I want to manage this outside of my workplace plan now. And they'll allow you to roll it over just like you would roll it over if you're retired. That's what the phrase in-service withdrawal means. It doesn't really have anything to do with the non-deductible contributions, the quote unquote mega backdoor. But um, in fact, the in-service withdrawals would probably do you a disservice if you're trying to fund that for retirement, because most of the time that's going to be... Tax-deferred money, not not tax-free money like the Roth. So anyways, if you want to set up a college fund for your kid, set up a college fund for your kid. Yeah, you live in Texas. There's no tax benefits. Well, you don't pay taxes, so that helps too. That's why there's no tax benefits there, Jerry. What was his name? Brian. <laughs> Brian.
0: You, you're you just scoring on everybody's name today. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel
2: Craig, no. Brian, no. David Craig. It's David. But anyways, so. There's still good 529 plans out there. Pick the Utah plan, put it in, call it a day.
0: Thanks for the question, Brian. Bill. I love it when we get a chance to dive into some uh, of the more complicated strategies out there. Really not not super complicated to execute. You got to make sure that you execute it. Doing it's not complicated, but it certainly isn't just throwing a few bucks inside your 401k. And uh, set it and forget it. If you've got a question for OG, head to com forward slash voicemail. And you know what? You can do that right from your phone. Hit the record button when you go to the site and OG and I can help you through whatever easy question you have. And of course, if you've got very deep financial planning questions or you just know you need much better financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients Head to stacking forward slash OG for that. All right. That's going to do it for today. Big thanks to everybody for hanging out with us today. You know, if you've got somebody in the family or maybe a friend that, you know, has flexible benefits, good episode for them to start off with of the stacking Benjamin show. And of course that has nothing to do og with you and I it's because the amazing Amanda Leonard <laughs> was here to save the day, Correct. save us all. All right, on Wednesday, big show coming up. Craig Wright, professor of music at a little university known as Yale. He has studied genius. And what makes someone a genius? And what can we do habit-wise that would help us compete with the geniuses out there? We're going to have that for you on Wednesday show. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today?
1: So, what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. Friends and family are not a retirement plan. Trust me, I've tried. Second, take a lesson from Amanda Lanert: Choosing your benefits? Start with the most important benefits for you and your family when it comes to probability. Plus, comparing benefits with outside sources might make sense when it comes to life insurance or disability coverage. But the big takeaway while interviewing Joe's mom about everything she'll need covered she's telling me way more than I ever wanted to know TMI lady T-M-I I have boundaries special thanks to Amanda Lannert for joining Joe today to help us navigate our benefits packages you can find everything about Alex and Jellyvision at jellyvision.com. We will also have a link at our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul produced by Richie Rudder Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you'd take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to OG for explaining to Joe's mom that we don't need to know about that foot thing she has. A little fast acting, 10 acting, it turns out, goes a long way. Also thanks to OG for explaining to Joe's mom that happy hours can't be part of our benefits package unless, of course, they involve a Dr. Daniels, a Dr. Jack Daniels. Then we can work something out, I'm sure. And thanks to Joe's mom for explaining that Flex Benefits actually cost money. Maybe next year we'll be able to follow through on some of my absolutely fantastic ideas.
0: I mentioned last week we were going to death Valley. There are two parks out of all the national parks we've been to that were incredibly surprising. And uh, death Valley is one of those two parks. What a cool, weird place. First of all, every single place we went, every, every place we went, you got out of the car and there's a parking area and right at the head of the hiking trail, Big, huge signs that basically say you could die here. So, <laughs> so try not to make sure you be take, careful. make sure you take plenty of water. Don't go out after X time. And they had a month by month chart of when it would be safe generally to go out big guidelines about what to do, what not to do. In fact, uh, the second day we were there, we had a guide take us to a place called Titus Canyon and there's a Jeep service right Next to the ranch, which is part of the national park, right on the floor of Death Valley. The ranch itself, I would compare to a Motel 6 commercial, you know, where they talk about a clean, comfortable room. We'll Mm -hmm. leave the light on for you. It was a clean, comfortable room. Fun old Western saloon down at the bottom that we ate at for Cheryl's birthday. On the way to Death Valley, by the way, we picked up a bottle of apothic, a red wine to celebrate. And then they had apothic by the glass at the restaurant. I paid more for one glass of apothic to celebrate her birthday than I did for the whole damn bottle that I oh, bought yeah. that I bought at the store. But let me just tell one story. I don't want to bore people with uh with Death Valley, but definitely Thank a place you. that you should go. Go in December, go in January. Great time. You can stay out there all day. Based on all the stuff that I read, the temperatures then are in the sixties often. But We go to this place that's one of the lowest places on earth. You are well over 250 feet below sea level. You're in, I think it's the number four spot worldwide, lowest spot in North America. They used to say in all the Americas, however, apparently uh, several years ago in Argentina, they found a place that was actually lower. So second lowest in the Americas, probably fourth lowest overall, the Dead Sea being number one. So we go out onto this uh, salt flats, which is the lowest spot, this basin. And it's really weird. You're walking on this white stuff that looks like a river and it's all salt. And there were people that walked a mile out into Death Valley. And it's exactly what you think it would be. There's just nothing, OG. If it weren't hazy, we could see that we should be able to see the mountains across the valley. But it was super hazy, partially because of the California fires, partially because of the wind no fires nearby where we were, but we go out and then we're looking back toward the mountain, which is the, the roads in death Valley hug the mountain. Cause it's much safer, much safer to be there than right down the middle, especially in, in the middle of summer. So many signs about your car overheating about actually turning down your air conditioning. So your car doesn't overheat. Anyway, we go out on this, field. And we look back and we see this sign way, way, way up the mountain across the road from the parking area. We're like, what the heck is that? It just looked like a white board. And then as we got closer to it, as we're walking back, we noticed that it says something. And then I look, what does it say Joe? And then I look closer and it says,
3: <laughs> that's a wrong
0: button. <laughs> way, way wrong. I got, there we go. It says sea level. And then you can see, you get this graphic representation of just how far below sea level you are. It was, it was crazy. It was, it was very, very strange. But Death Valley, w- weird place. You know, the other... I liked it a lot. Yeah, the other place that really impressed me was uh, Big Bend. Uh, another place where you could easily die out in the middle of wilderness and nobody finds you. But just, I don't know, deserts attract some quirky people. And we heard so many quirky stories about people. This wagon train was making its way around death Valley back in wagon train days. And somehow this wagon train, a bunch of people believed this 20 year old guy who said, Hey, nobody's ever gone this way. is clearly a shorter way. This is a shortcut. I think it was a hundred wagons that followed him at first into death valley. And then they apparently start fighting and then they splinter off into little groups as they realize that this desert is so unbelievably inhospitable. And just to get to Death Valley, you've crossed all these other valleys and then you get to the worst one of all. In the middle of Death Valley, near a place called Stovepipe Wells, there is a sign. There's historical markers, OG, all over Death Valley. But this historical marker marks the spot where they burn their wagons. <laughs> Because they realized they weren't going to make it. And they go, F- <laughs> if we're, if we're going to live, we got to burn our wagons. They actually, this is a sad thing. Their animals yeah, it were, wasn't hot enough. Yeah. Their animals were dying. So they killed most of their animals to put them out of their misery. They didn't have enough food. They, they burned their wagons and they started off on foot to make it. And at the end, by the way, and I think I told this story last week, they came out of, of the Valley and only one person died. But, uh, a guy who wrote an account later told the story that they looked back on the valley and said something about, thank God we've left that death valley behind. And so death valley got its name. But the other thing I found from this place and Joshua tree, which of course is in the desert too, they all have all these, these names, (laughs) like there's this overlook that we went to, to see sunrise. It's called Dante's view, you know, Dante, the, the nine rings of hell. And you're looking out over Death Valley and it's Dante's view. And, you know, also when we we were at the Guadalupe Mountains, we went to a place called called Hell's Corridor. Everything is hells or satans or death or I think they love scaring you. And don't get me wrong. These these are places where you could, could have some problems. But anyway, Death Valley, highly recommended, but maybe not in the middle of summer.